All right, good morning, everyone. So we're gonna go ahead and get started. Those that are coming, they can join in on us, um, but we wanna make sure we're getting that time going. So, everyone welcome. For those that I haven't met, my name is Lori. You usually, I'm back here with much smaller people. Um, I felt a little awkward this morning on stage because typically I'm having to say, hey friends, let's make wise choices. Don't stand on the chairs. Um, so whenever I'm talking to y'all, it's a little different. I'm, I don't have to ask you, please don't put that up your nose. Um, I trust each of you have the ability to monitor yourself. <laughs> so um, Cassie asked me to do another breakout this year and it was so funny because she gave me the option to create my own title. Well, you know, I heard a lot of these amazing women and they were deep in prayer and pouring themselves out to God. And I was too, I was reading my Bible and all, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. Like Nothing was coming to me. I knew kind of what uh, God was leading on my heart. And then I'm in the shower of all places and the song, Don't I Make It Look Easy came on. Don't I make it look easy, I'm fooling you. And it hit me. But I couldn't title the, the conference, Don't I, my breakout session, Don't I Make It Look Easy, right? So I was like, Cassie, can you come up with a title for me? And so she did. So welcome to a perfect community in an imperfect world. Um, so it's easy to look around at everyone else's lives and go, think, oh man, they got it all together. You see the people, they are somehow managed to get up at four o'clock in the morning. They have worked out, they have been in the word, they have had that quiet time with God. They managed to get all their kids ready out the door with any arguing or fighting. Their husbands and them go on these wonderful dates, they're on dream trips, their careers are in order. They come home at night and make fabulous meals, all with fresh vegetables, nothing prepared. They get all their kids tucked in and they sit and they enjoy a quiet evening reading a wonderful nonfiction book. <laughs> Let's be real, we're all fooling you. None of this is easy. Um, maybe you're more like me where some days the most exercise you get is when you open the door for the Amazon package and the dog jumps out and so you're chasing the dog down the street. <laughs> maybe you are in that phase of life where you are a toddler's jungle gym and by the end of the day, you are touched out and don't want to hear another sound. Maybe you're single and you're in that phase of life where you're constantly reminded the person that forgot to buy the toilet paper was you. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you're in that phase of life where your kids are grown. They're gone. Um, maybe you're at that phase where you're looking at your husband and thinking, do we watch Law and Order or do we just go to bed? Because that's where you're at. The reality is none of us are doing it well. <laughs> we all have things that we're all working on each day. And it's really easy to get tied up in how everyone else is doing and how everything else looks, especially in this media-driven world that we live in. So. Growing up in church, I uh, grew up in the Assemblies of God Church during the Jesus Freak purity culture, um, this time where you were either sold out for Jesus or you were doing it wrong. Uh, I also grew up in a minister's family, so <laughs> we were in a fishbowl. 
I remember times where we would be arguing all the way to church, but the moment that church, we got to that church door, it all stopped. We put our smiles on our faces. We went in, raised our hands, hallelujah, got out to the car, and ding, 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 round two. <laughs> so, knowing this, um, I kind of grew up in a way where I thought I knew it all. Um, I knew about spirituality. I was in the Word. I was in the Bible. You were wrong. I was right. Uh, I'm honestly ashamed. If you were to have met me back then, you would have found a very judgy Christian. Someone that would look at your life and see all of your flaws, but I couldn't look in the mirror and see mine. Um, it's something that I look back on and I'm, I'm really not proud of. Part of that was because we didn't share what happened behind closed doors. When you're busy putting on a perfect act, it's really hard to then be publicly vulnerable. So, um, we all have this now. As an adult, I left home and I still carried that with me. I wasn't willing to share with anybody what was really going on in the background of my life. You know, anxiety, perfect peace, perfect peace. Financial problems, Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider, I am just fine. Nothing is wrong here, please move along. So I very much continued that cultivated life of pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It is all what you see on the outside. The truth is that I was struggling and that life was hard. Have you ever tried to invite someone to church and they told you Christians are too judgy? Or maybe you're someone who doesn't want to tell someone that you're a Christian and you go to church because you're afraid that they know you too well and they're automatically going to judge you and they're automatically going to say, Christian, I know what you did last Saturday. It's hard. And we're all doing the best we can. Um, what I love about the Bible and what I get to do here on Sunday mornings is I get to take the Bible and break it down into bite-sized pieces that kids can understand. So you're going to have to humor me. Much of the way that I speak about the Bible is simplified. Part of that is I love the message translation. Some people say we don't preach from the message translation. I say I really like the way it says things. <laughs> so I'm, part of what I'm going to be reading from is the message translation. Now, we all know the story of Job, and that's where we're going to start out today. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we would not only need examples of what to do, but as humans, we would need clear examples of what not to do. And Job, I spent so many years hearing the story of Job, and I'm sure as many of you, um, Job, you know, Job was a man that was tried by God. Um, he was living in a time where he was living a holy and righteous life. And my daughter's professor, she just took um, biblical studies at University of St. Mary's, and how they said it was quite tickled my funny bone. He said, um, basically, God and Satan had a bet, and God said, Satan said, who can I test? And God said, I bet you can't test Job. And throughout the trials, Job lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his kids. He lost his health. 
He lost everything. And through it all, he refused to turn his back on God. That's where we're going to start. Now, many of you have heard that part of the story. But did you know that's only the first two chapters? All of the rest of Job is not really about Job's troubles. It's about Job's Christian community. And I see these stories, and I'm, as I'm reading through them, I realize, ooh, I recognize that friend. So we're going to go a little bit into Job's story. So there's this famous quote from The Princess Bride, of course. <laughs> he says, let me explain. No, let me sum up. There's no time. So we're going to quickly sum up these, these um, interactions with Job's friends. So like every good Christian community, Job's friends went in with the best of intentions. They had seen all that Job was going through. They had seen the sores on his bodies. They knew he lost his kids. They knew he was broke. They knew he had lost everything. And what did they do? Well, in, John, uh, in Job 2.11, it says, When they saw him from a distance, they could barely recognize him, and they began to weep aloud. They tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their head. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word, because they saw that his suffering was so great. How amazing would that be to have your Christian brothers and sisters surround you in your time of sorrow and just sit? Not try to fix it, not try to speak into it, to just sit. And these friends were on the right track. But then... <laughs> It can never stop right there. We're all well-intentioned. None of us go out to maliciously, you know, tear someone down. One of Job's friends speaks up. And Eliphaz is that friend that was polished. He was the one that has read the Bible from cover to cover every year. He has a devotional for every season of life you're going through. He is well-spoken, and he is usually the first one you send into a crisis. And he basically says to Job, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you anything that you haven't preached to somebody else. So um, you're not innocent. You've messed up, obviously. Look at your life. God didn't take all of this away from you because you were some good person. And he says, don't blame fate when things go wrong. Trouble doesn't come from nowhere. It's humans. Mortals are born and bred for trouble, as certainly as sparks fly upward. If I were in your shoes, I'd go straight to God. I'd throw myself on his mercy. He saw that his friend was going through something and decided to judge him based on that situation. Then Job, after every time one of his friends, you'll notice a pattern. One of his friends would come to him and say, I know what you should do. I got it. You're wrong do this, and Job would basically say, am I not allowed to complain because my life is crap? <laughs> am I not allowed to say, hey, I'm going through stuff? I'm not saying I don't love God. I'm saying I'm going through some stuff and I haven't done anything wrong. So then in comes in Bildad, and Bildad is that blunt holy friend 
He's the one that's going to say, let me speak some truth to you. Um, one of those <laughs> that doesn't sugarcoat anything, I laugh because I very much can be a bill dad at times. Um, can I be honest with you? Can I just speak some truth to you? And in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, it's plain that your children sinned against him. Otherwise, God would not have punished them. Here's what you must do, and don't put on any longer. Get down on your knees before the Almighty. If you're innocent and upright, as you say you are, it's not too late. He'll come running. He'll set everything right. Reestablish your fortune. Put the question to the elders. Study what they've learned from their ancestors. For we're newcomers at this, with a lot to learn and a long way to go. To summarize, he was like, hey, dude, you messed up. Obviously, you're a sinner. Your kids are sinners. Your animals are sinners. You messed up. And then he said, it's okay. Let's go talk to the elders of the church. It was wise counsel to seek someone who is in a different stage of life, and that's always something you should do, but he's coming at it from the point of, you messed up. Look at your life. Obviously, everything you're going through is because you have messed up. Let's go talk to someone else. And I love Job's reply in this because in chapter 9, Job says, so what's new? I know all this. Job is basically like, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Um, are you going to help me out here? No? Okay. Then I'm going to go back to saying what I'm going through is horrible. And then along came Zophar. And Zophar is that sweet, quiet, flowery, loving friend. And Zophar is the Christian friend that has all the catchphrases, you know. God wouldn't bring you to it if he wasn't going to bring you through it. We just got to hold on. We don't know God's plans. He's not going to give you anything more than you can bear. Let's look for God's hand in this situation and see the good. And he says, you claim that your doctrine is sound. And this is in chapter 11. You claim that your doctrine is sound. And my conduct is impeccable. How I wish God would give you a piece of his mind. Let me tell you what, I wish he'd show you the wisdom and what wisdom looks like from the inside, for true wisdom is mostly inside. Basically, he's telling Job, examine your heart. Look at yourself. Obviously, you have messed up. So now here Job is. Job has lost everything. His kids, he's lost his fortune, he's lost his health. And now the people that were supposed to be surrounding him and loving him are standing there in judgment of him, telling him all the things that he's done wrong. And Job is going, guys, listen to me. I didn't do anything. All I've done was worship God, praise God. And he curses the day he was born. God, why on earth would you bring me to this earth if you, if this was my life, it's been one tragedy after another tragedy after another tragedy, one wave after another wave after another wave. Every time I catch my breath, you send another wave. What is going on here? And his friends are going, you. You're what's going on here. Obviously, you've sinned. Obviously, your family's sinned. Can you imagine how 
defeating it must have felt. Because when you've got nothing else, and you're reaching out for that lifesaver, and the people that are supposed to be holding it are going, oh, ah, you know, we'll try a little harder. Uh, no, just admit you're wrong. Uh, come on now, you know God's wisdom, and you're going through this for a reason. It had to have felt defeating. But Job stayed strong. He stayed. He refused to curse God. He refused to turn his back on God. He refused. He just kept turning back to God. God, I don't understand. And I love that I served such an amazing God who was okay with handling my questions. He is big enough to look at my circumstances and see me and say, God, I don't understand. And he's not going, get over it. He loves us. We say in here that he loves us so much, he's counted every hair on our head. He knows every tear we've ever cried. And before we were in our mom's belly, he knew us. And he knows my inner thoughts. So I might as well say, hey, God, I'm really mad, and I don't get this, and I don't understand what I've done wrong, and why, 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 God, I love you, and I'm here to serve you, but I just don't get it. God's big enough to handle your emotions. God's big enough to handle your questions, as long as you're turning to him. So Job wraps up and summarizes, to summarize the end, God shows up in a big wind and basically looks at Job and he's like, Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I stopped the oceans? You don't know my plans, but I love you. And then he looks at his three friends and he's like, now y'all, y'all, <laughs> I like the way it says it here. He says, for you have not spoken of me what is right. These people came in godly counsel, but they didn't speak godly counsel. They spoke what they thought was correct in Job's life. How many times in our life have we turned to people? Maybe we were in the middle of a divorce. Maybe your kids are struggling. Maybe you got that diagnosis. And instead of sitting, instead of loving, we got friends like Job's. It would be really depressing if that was the end. It would be really sad if that was the complete end of the story and God just kind of left us hanging there. But it's not. It's not even close. So... In 2017, the military said, hey, little country girl, <laughs> I'm sending you to Maryland. You're going to live in the D.C. region and have fun with that. Um, the military gives us these choices, gives us choices. They say pick your top three, and what they actually mean was dream really big. You're probably not going to get there, but dream really big. Maryland was never on my top three list. I'm like, anywhere else but Maryland, God. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. We move every two to three years. Every time I get someplace new, I meet friends. I have to leave them. It tears my heart apart. I'm done. I'm not 
planning roots. I'm not getting involved in a church. I don't want friends. I'm just gonna do this time. I'm gonna serve my time. I'm gonna love my family. And that's all I'm doing. So we didn't dig roots. We became very isolated. Um, I had one or two friends, but I never let them in close. Because to let them in close would mean to be, I'd make a connection. And if I made a connection, that meant it was going to hurt when I left that connection. So there was no way I was getting involved. And then my life took a really rough turn. My son was at school one day when a group of boys surrounded him and jumped him. His crime for this, they didn't like the way he looked. He began to develop depression and PTSD, and I saw my kid drowning. One day, he's sitting in the kitchen and he said, Mom, I don't want to live anymore. Took everything out of me. In that moment, to look at your child and hear them say those words, it's like the air was removed from my lungs. A day later, he was walking from the shower to his bedroom, and I noticed that he had bruises from his hip to his knee, from his elbows to his shoulder. He had been punching himself. And I said, we got to get help. <laughs> I need help. I desperately need help. So here we are this whole time. I did all the right things. I got him plugged right into therapy. And we were drowning. And I wasn't letting anybody in. I was working at a school at the time. And one of the teachers saw me. And she said, hey, Lori, is everything okay? And I gave the answer that we all give so many times. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And she said, I don't think it's fine. I said, things are a little bit of a mess right now. She said, you should come check out my church. We're all a mess there. <laughs> With an invitation like that, <laughs> I mean, I, I needed to see this church. We're all a mess there. <laughs> so I took her up on her invitation, and we started going to this church. And this church was a place where open brokenness was embraced. They embraced this philosophy of endless second chances. They embraced the philosophy of me too. You're going through that? Me too. You've been through this? Me too. And through that, they linked up and they walked together. Now, this was a total change from the church that I grew up in where we didn't tell anybody anything because if I told you, you were going to judge me on it and then I was going to get in trouble and so on and so forth. So it took me a while to really get comfortable in this type of setting where people are openly talking about, yeah, I deal with anxiety. I, I'm on medication for it. I see a therapist. Let me tell you, these are the scriptures I use. And they're openly talking about this. Oh, you had addiction? I had addiction too. So I got really brave. Group link came around and I was like, I am gonna take this, I'm gonna join a group. And I show up at this group and I walk through the door and I'm looking at piles of shoes and toys everywhere. There's nobody at the door. And I'm like, I am surely about 
to enter somebody's house that I'm not supposed to be there. God be with me. And she screams, come on up. So I come up, and there's Ellie. And Ellie is big pregnant. And here's 10 other women, and they're all sitting around. And Ellie sits down in the chair, and she looks at me, and she goes, look, my Cuban mom would disown me if she saw my house like this. I don't really care. I've got boys. This is my life. I'm glad you're here. And we sat together. This group of 10 women, we came together every Sunday. And what I loved about this group of women was that this was a place where the only rule was you had to be honest. We weren't allowed to use, I'm fine. It was okay if you didn't share why you weren't fine, but you weren't allowed to use the words, I'm fine. Because what's the point? Ellie really embraced this me too. Endless second chances. We're all messy. We're all broken. And through the 10 weeks, we all, or nine, 10 weeks, we all sat there and each week we would share. And I held back and I wasn't going to say anything. I would say, I'm not fine, but I wouldn't share why I was not fine. And one day I started opening up and I started sharing with these women what was going on. And I'll never forget it because Miss Sherry looked across at me and she grabbed my hand and she said, Baby, I've been there too. She said, Mama, have you gotten therapy for yourself? Therapy for myself? I'm trying to keep my kid afloat. What do you mean therapy for myself? You taking care of yourself? No, I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything to take care of myself. But I opened up, and in that moment, someone else saw where I was at. And instead of running to fix it, and instead of running to judge it, instead of running to tell me what I could do to change it, she saw me. Imperfect, broken, hot mess me. And she didn't turn her back and say, that's too much. She didn't look at me and say, hold on, let me tell you what you've done wrong. She saw me. That group changed the way that I see Christian community. Now, Paul also saw two different Christian communities. Paul had every right to brag about everything he was. And he was writing a letter in 2 Corinthians and he's writing a letter to these religious figures. And these re religious figures had gone around boasting and telling about all of their accolades. They could give you their resume from top to bottom. I've been to Bible college. I've always, my, my grandma's a founding member of the church. Like they could list them all out. Been in church since I was a kid. I was baptized at five. They were listing all of it. And Paul became very sarcastic. And I kind of like that. Uh, he said, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many of you are boasting not in the ways of the, the world does, I will boast too. 
I will gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. He's looking at these people that are saying, look at my accolades, and he's going, you are a fool. It don't matter. Instead, Paul begins to list his resume. And while Paul had every right to list the stuff the other Christians were listing, Paul says, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind talking like this? I am more. Have I worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again? Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day on the ocean. I have been constantly on the move. I was in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the seas. Doesn't sound like the resume of a good Christian, right? Because if I was a good Christian and living my good Christian life, the bad things wouldn't be happening. That wouldn't be the resume I'd be listing. I'd be listing the, look what God's doing in my life over here. He's blessed me. Look at how God's blessed me. I'm so blessed. Paul said, no, 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 no. Look at what I'm going through. Look at what I've been through. And he says, who is weak? And I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I'm not lying. Paul didn't see his weakness, his problems, his struggles, the things that he was going through as a weakness in him. He saw it as a moment in time for God to be glorified. He saw it as a time where God was going to get the glory, but he didn't have to hide it from everyone else for God to get the glory. Because what if I looked at you today and I said, yesterday my anxiety was at a seven. By the time I got out of the shower, my brain was exploding. I couldn't eat breakfast. I got to work. I was already in a tizzy. And I made it through my day. Or I could have said, I got up this morning, I did my devotional, I read my Bible, I came in, nothing is wrong, everything is fine. Which one would you relate more to? Which one are you going to go to whenever your anxiety is that bad? Which Christian friend are you going to reach hold of in those moments when you're struggling? The one who says, my life is perfect. Are we going to reach out for the one who says, my life isn't perfect, but let me tell you, even though I barely got out of bed this morning, even though taking a shower was the hardest thing I did and I didn't get through a meal, God has sustained me and here I am. Here I stand by the grace and glory of God. Let me link up with you. Let me hold your weight with mine. Let's link our oxen. Let's, let's yoke to each other, and we will pull this cart together. Which Christian community are we going to be? 
What if instead of judging our fellow Christians, what if instead of creating an environment where you had to be perfect to start attending church, we looked at the outside world and said, you know what? Your kid has a drug addiction, mine does too. This is what I do. Every night I get down on my knees and I pray to God that when I get up tomorrow and make that phone call, he's going to answer and God is sustaining me. What if we looked across the room and said, you know what, your marriage is struggling, mine is too. Let me tell you what I'm doing. Today, I read through this, but you know what, we fought the rest of the day. But you know what, I went to bed, I laid my head on my pillow, and I said, God, I give this to you. Me too. Let's link up. Let's pray together. Let's read the Bible together. Let's talk together. Let's walk hand in hand through this. What if we were so busy being about each other that we didn't have time to talk about each other? What if we were so busy carrying each other's burden that we weren't worried about what so-and-so was doing down the street? This is the kind of community we're called to. Each one of us need grace. If we didn't need grace, we would not be here. If we didn't need grace, the Israelites could have done it with their rules and their plans. If we didn't need grace, there would be no reason to send Jesus. If we didn't need a cross of salvation, then all of us could do it on our own, in our own strength, at our own time. But that's not reality. The reality is all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And though we do our best every day to get up and live the best life we can, we're all struggling. We're all hurting. James 4.12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So how do we do it? Again, God in his infinite wisdom knew we needed both examples. We needed Job and his friend. We needed Paul looking at his community. And then he said, love is perfect. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on having its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. What if we were a Christian community that instead of looking across and judging, we stopped where Job's friends stopped at the beginning? You're suffering, can I just sit with you? You're hurting, me too, can I just sit here with you? You're in pain, me too, can I link up with you? And we really began to create the perfect community for imperfect people. We all make it look so easy, but is it? Is your life easy? Is your life exactly how you want it to look? Or do you need to look across the table and say, hey guys, me too. I'm struggling. Me too. I need help. Me too. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you for every woman that has walked through this door. I thank you that you loved us so very much, that you were willing to send your son, that you don't expect perfection or robots, that you don't expect us to have the answers, that you never once turned us away when we turned to you. God, help us to be more like you. Help us to see each other. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be open and honest. Help us to build a community that you want, that reflects your love, because you didn't turn people away. You sat them down and you brought them to dinner. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.